24. We're going to be reading verses 36 through 48. Before we read this passage, I'd like to ask you a question, and I want you to, uh, to kind of ponder this for a second. What are the reasons that people don't believe? What are the reasons people doubt? Now, I could be talking about a non-believer who just rejects the idea of, of the gospel, of Jesus and what he's done completely, but I could also be talking about believers Times that we stumble, times that we fail to really believe, really trust, like the children we're hearing about, trust in what Jesus has promised us, trust in in his care for us. What are all the reasons? What are all the causes? And try to, in your mind, just, just think of a few of the possible causes. Because I believe that as we encounter this passage, we may be coming across a cause that is one that we won't consider. Because I imagine most of us are thinking things like, well, there's, there's holding on to sin. I don't want to believe because I'm holding on to sin. Or there's stubbornness. I, or, or there's, you know, uh, you know, other reasons like that, just, just weak faith or things like that. But we encounter in this passage a very interesting uh, Reason that I, I don't see replicated anywhere else, and I'd like us to consider uh, this morning this barrier to faith. Would you stand with me if you're physically able in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be, uh, begin with verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you so much for the resurrection. We thank you for the way that you, uh, Father, you bear with us just as Jesus bared with his disciples and, and brought them along and helped them in their frailty and in their weakness to understand, to trust, and to believe. God, we pray and we ask that you just help us to draw closer to you now. And, Father, that your spirit would work among us to make us more like Jesus, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, of all the reasons that you may have considered in your mind, all the things that you pondered in your mind, reasons why people may doubt, may disbelieve, may not fully trust God, 
Did any of you consider joy and amazement as reasons to not consider God, to not trust him? Joy and amazement. It says they weren't believing because of joy and amazement. Now, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty interesting. I've never found anywhere else in Scripture that said that people were doubting and disbelieving because of joy and amazement. But I thought if you put this in our modern terminology, what we might say is they didn't believe because it was too good to be true. They didn't believe because standing in front of them was something they couldn't bring themselves to believe. They couldn't imagine that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. It's not that they had a a hardened or angry heart against God, that they were ready to rebel against him. It's just simply that every single thing in in their being, all of their past experience had taught them. What do we say? When something seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? I tell you what, I mean, how many of you have been contacted by a a prince from Nigeria? I mean, I know that I've had, it's kind of amazing, and, and, and he doesn't have any descendants who can take his money, and all I have to do is give him my bank account number, and, and he's just going to say, come on, brother, you're in the family. He's going to send it on over, and we're going to be one big happy family, right? How many of you have gotten a key in the mail, and all you got to do is bring it down to that car lot, and you're going to stick it in the greatest Ford truck or Cadillac or whatever, and it's going to be yours just to drive off the parking lot? You know, we, we all have been trained from birth, and we get excited about something, and our parents say, no, son, let me talk to you about this. You don't buy into that. You don't believe that. That's too good to be true. Over and over in our lives, we learn that lesson. We reemphasize that lesson, and we, we say, hey, that's, that's too good. It's too good to be true. And, you know, that is important because we'd all be broken in trouble with the law and everything else if we, if we didn't learn that skepticism towards the deception that mankind puts out there. But the problem is we carry over that mindset that might be seen as wisdom and discernment when it concerns the things of man. Unfortunately, we often carry that mindset when it comes to God and the things that he is saying to us. That same lack of trust, uh, that, that same putting up a distance, putting up a wall, keeping far away, and often the things that God tells to us in his word, we say, oh, that, you know, that could be, that sounds too good to be true. You know that I've talked to people about God before and that's what they've said. It, it can't be that easy. That's too good to be true. That there's someone who, who will, you know, save me, who will take me and all the things I've done, all the mess, all the mistakes. They know the evil thoughts of my heart. They know every single bit of my past. And it can be a barrier to the gospel because people say that's too good to be true. But even those who have believed, like the disciples who it said could not believe because of joy and amazement, even sometimes we hear a message, we read it or we hear it preached or we hear it taught in person or on the radio or wherever, and we think, well, wouldn't that be nice? Isn't that good for someone else? We hear a message about God's grace and how amazing it is. 
And we say, well, that's good for other people who haven't done quite what I've done. Or, or, or we, we hear uh, someone tell us, a brother or sister say, look, God knows everything about you and he loves you completely anyway. So that's a nice thought. But you don't know what I've done. In other words, it's too good to be true. And so the promises of God, the, the blessings of God, so often go unfulfilled in our life because we take that too good to be true mentality that is a survival technique in life in dealing with other human beings. But we take that mentality and we apply it towards God and we miss out on what he has for us, the joy the abundant life. And I want us to think real quickly about this passage and a couple of others that demonstrate how in Scripture this often happened. If you turn just, well, just probably most of you have to just keep your Bibles open to chapter 24. Uh, and then you look back to verse 11. It's talking about when the, the women who were the first ones to, to see the empty tomb and the angels and, and hear the great message and and they told Peter and the other guys, and you think that, uh, that they would say, oh, yeah, this is awesome. But that's not what Peter and the other disciples said. In verse 11 of chapter 24 of Luke, it says, but they did not believe the women. Why? No, not because they're women. No, that wasn't it. Uh, because they were known to be big liars. No, that wasn't it. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Their words seem to them like nonsense. You know what? That's another way of saying it was too good to be true. They heard the women rejoicing, running to them. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The angels have appeared to us, and we can have joy. We can believe the Savior's risen. And it was like, wah, 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 wah. I mean, it just passed right over them. It meant nothing to them. Because while God had made a promise, while Jesus had continually been laying out time after time, those last few months and few weeks of his ministry, he would tell them the Son of Man must suffer and he must die and he must be in the ground. And on the third day, he will rise again. And they kept asking questions like, huh, what's this whole rise again thing? You know, I know that's, that's got to be some kind of spiritual, symbolic type of stuff. I wonder what Jesus really means. Because even before it happened, even while they were promising, the, the Word of God tells us that they had these kind of discussions, the disciples, because it just, they just couldn't really imagine that there'd be a God who would sacrifice his only son and yet in power and glory raise him from the dead to overcome death, hell, and the grave. It seemed too good to be true, but it wasn't. And so we look at this passage and here's what we learn. Number one, God keeps his promises that seem too good to be true. If there is a promise in scripture that God has made, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. And every single promise, I could go on and on quoting promises in God's word. Now, you can't just pull and choose something he said to, you know, to a particular person or to the nation of Israel. But if there's a promise that God has made to his believers, his disciples, and that promise is made, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're jaded, 
wounded, terrible history of a life of people who have betrayed you and let you down, if all of your life experience with every human being says there's no way that can be true, the resurrection says it is. The resurrection says if the greatest promise of God If the hardest one to pull off, if the least unlikely thing God could have ever done, and that is raising a man from the dead and overcoming death, hell, and the grave, and then ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, if that promise could come true, then so could every other promise that God keeps his word. And so you and I have to come to that point where we realize when God makes a promise, even if it seems too good to be true, It's true. Secondly, in the scripture that we began reading today, we see that God reveals himself in ways that seem too good to be true. Or you might say God proves himself. You know, God shows up in our lives in times and ways we can't imagine. We're, quite frankly, doing good if we expect to encounter God at church. A lot of times we come to church because it's the routine, it's the duty, it's the thing Christians do. And and I know I put on my nice clothes and I come to church. And maybe hopefully some of us are expecting to encounter God when we come into this place. But so often in other places, in other ways, we just think, well, this is God time and that's other time. That's other place. That's not sacred ground or sacred time. But yet, God's word tells us that he created it all. He owns it all. And there is not a place or a time in your life that is not sacred because God is Lord over all of it. A friend sent me a link this week of a, of a video, That's Where I Find God. Apparently it's pretty popular. I think it's got about 14 million views, you know. And, and you know, I, I thought, well, I hadn't heard that particular song, but guess what? God shows up. God works in our lives and we miss him. We don't even see it. We don't even recognize it because our faith has been drawn down because we think it's too good to be true. Maybe I'll encounter God in Sunday school. Maybe I'll encounter him in a worship service. But at Monday morning, 8 a.m. at work, no way. (laughs) No, God can't be in that. In the ER, 11 o'clock at night, is God there? Is God on the ball field? Is God in your home? Yes. And God can show up just the same way he showed up to these disciples. When we began with verse 36, it said, while they were discussing this. And you know what they were discussing? They were discussing the two guys on the road from Emmaus. Those two guys who had walked with Jesus and hadn't even realized it until finally he broke bread and their eyes were open. And they run and they find the other disciples. They find the 12 and they say, we got a story to tell you. We met Jesus on the road. Look, if God can show up on a road trip, he can show up anywhere, right? God can do and meet us wherever we are. And we so often think, no, that's, that's too good to be true. This isn't holy enough. This isn't special enough. This, this is just my secular life, my work life, my school life, my home life. Guess what? It's all God life because God owns it and controls all of it. 
And then one other passage, there's a great one in the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. Luke wrote Luke, Luke wrote Acts. In Acts chapter 12, there's a fantastic story. So Herod and uh, King Herod kind of got mad at some of the early Christians. Everything was, everything was stirring up and he didn't like it. And, and he, put, uh, he started seizing some of them and, and he decided to seize Peter and throw him into jail, okay? And, and so what do we do when something happens and we're concerned? Well, we, we have prayer, right? I mean, that's the thing we're supposed to, we ought to do, and hopefully we do when there's trouble. And so the early church, they get together at, at uh, John Mark's mama's home, and, and they, go, they all gather up in prayer. And they're all praying, oh, Lord, we love you. We believe you. We trust you. We know you can do anything. Would you please, please take care of Peter? Would you please somehow release him? Would you open up your spirit and your mighty power and do a work here? And guess what? God does. Because an angel of the Lord comes and he, he lets Peter out. And Peter doesn't even know this is for real happening. The Bible says not until he gets through all the gates, past all the guards, gets out on the street in front of the prison, <laughs> he realizes uh, this isn't just a nice little dream. Because the angel just split and here I am all by myself on the road. Now, what do you do when you're all by yourself late at night in a big, dangerous city? Uh, you want to get somewhere safe. And he says, I know. I bet you the other Christians are over at John Mark's mama's house. And that's where I'm going to go. And he goes over there, and he knocks on the door. And everybody's in there, oh, God, help Peter. And they're all, you know, whatever, so loud. They don't even hardly hear him. Finally, some little servant girl named Rhoda comes up to the door. And, uh, you know, they weren't trusting then any more than they are now because <laughs> she doesn't open the door. She's like, who's out there? And he's like, it's Peter. It's Peter. What? Peter? The Peter we're praying for? Yes, it's me. Peter, let me in. And the girl is so excited and happy that Peter's there, she turns her back and runs away from him. And she goes back to the rest of the group, and she, she forgets all about opening the door for Peter. She says, Peter's here. And they're like, oh, child. That's real sweet. I know you heard us praying, and we're proud of your faith and that you actually believed. And, and honey, but that's not the way things work. Can you kind of imagine her, them talking down? Well, and she said, no, he's out there. Finally, they say, well, maybe there's a ghost. Someone sounds enough like Peter and looks enough like Peter. If there's really somebody out there, it must be a ghost. And then the Bible says, I love this. The Bible says, you know what Peter was doing? The Bible says, Peter kept knocking. The whole time in the background, there's been this knocking. You know, Peter's kind of, I know he was in the spirit when the angel let him out, but I kind of feel like he might have started getting out of the spirit a little bit after a while. And he's knocking and he's knocking and his knuckles are hurting. But he doesn't quit knocking. He keeps knocking. And finally, they say, we better go out there and see what's actually out there. And there is Peter in the flesh. And sometimes we find out that when God answers prayers, he does it in a way that seems too good to be true. Isn't that something that the very thing we pray for and ask God for, sometimes once it happens, we can't even believe it? Because while we say we have faith, we say we love Jesus, we say that we believe that he is omnipotent, has all power and all control, and could do everything if he actually does it. Whoa, <laughs> unbelievable. This whole thing we've been talking about, 
talking to God called prayer, maybe he actually responds. And I think so many times when God does that, he shows up. We either miss it or we say, oh, isn't that wonderful how that worked out? What a coincidence. Oh, isn't that something every... No, it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't an accident. The Lord of the universe responded to the prayers of his people. And God can answer prayer any way he wants to. And sometimes that's exactly what we ask for. Isn't that crazy? He does it, even though it may seem too good to be true. Now, another thing is sometimes he says, no, not going to give you that. And it's a few years later till we realize, whew, thank you, God, because that was what was really too good to be true, that you told me no or you told me wait. But we have to understand that we serve a God who is beyond our finite, our weak, our slow to, to develop faith. And he's patient with us and he loves us and he can do more than we can possibly imagine. And so all of these life skills that have been taught to us by mama and daddy and friends and we've learned ourselves when we've been burned and trusted somebody that we shouldn't, all that stuff that may work to be skeptical towards mankind, to be careful we have to learn that we are relating to a God who is not only all-powerful, but he is all-loving. And he is always true. The Bible calls him the God who cannot lie. Is there anything God can't do? Absolutely, he can't lie. That is not, lying is not in his vocabulary. It's not in his list of abilities. And so when God promises something, it doesn't matter if it's too good to be true. It's going to happen. If God shows up and changes your life and intervenes in your life and reveals himself to you, doesn't matter if it seems like it's too good to be true. There may be a burning bush, there may be a finger writing on the wall, or there may be simply God's spirit speaking to your heart. And we serve a God who actually answers prayers, even when it sometimes seems too good to be true. Do we sometimes pray not knowing what God's will is? Absolutely. And we got to put that out there because prayer is not some magic abracadabra where we say certain words and we manipulate God. Prayer is us as believers surrendering our will to God's will and say, God, if this be your will, would you please do this? And God in his wisdom knows when he needs to move one way or when he needs to move another. But he can and often does move in ways that are too good to be true. I was uh, watching early this morning a, a video from uh, Mark Lowry, who's a Christian singer, Christian comedian. And one thing out of that video just struck me and stuck with me. It just resonated. He said, God spreads grace like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? God spreads grace like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. He gets it everywhere. He gets it everywhere, all over the place. I can tell you about a nephew who once decided that it would be really fun to take his sister's Game Boy and put some peanut butter in it. So I really get that, that expression, getting peanut butter everywhere. 
But you know, we need to look at God and understand him through the lens of grace. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is just. Yes, he calls us to accountability. All those things are true and we can't throw them out. But you need to understand God is looking at you through eyes of love and grace. He's not the dealership that just wants to get you down there on a bait and switch. He's not the internet scammer who's trying to get your account. Or he's not the identity thief who just wants to mess up your life. He is the God of the universe that loved you so much that his only son died for you. Don't let what God's saying, the fact that it may seem too good to be true, keep you from believing, embracing, and experiencing all that God has to offer in your life. Would you pray with me? God, we have, um, most of us have been burned pretty bad at some point in our life. Most of us have experienced someone that we thought cared, that we thought would never hurt us or would never leave us or would never lie to us or would never betray to us, betray us. Most of us have been in situations and circumstances when the unthinkable happened. And we've developed really tough hard shells because of that. And we've become, we've often, God, we have rejected being vulnerable. We've rejected letting other people in. And Father, unfortunately, sometimes even you, because our hurt and our pain, it's just taught us lessons that it seems like it's hard for us to forget. But God, help us to remember that your love for us was forever settled in the cross. That you will never leave us or forsake us. You will never lie to us. You will never cast us out. God, you love us in a way, God, that we imagine it seems too good to be true because we know how we are. And Lord, we all have this fear that if anyone saw who we really are, that they wouldn't love us. But God, you do see it. You see it all. And you love us so much that you died for it all. Every single sin, fault, and failure is redeemed by your grace. God, may you give us faith to trust you even when it seems too good to be true. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as part of the uh, ongoing changes that we've made in our services, uh, today as we sing, instead of being on my pew over there, I'm going to be down front. Now, it's always, uh, that's always optional, but uh, it's open today if you need prayer, if you need count on these steps, whatever the Lord is moving you to do to respond to him and you know, maybe this message was directly to you and a need in your heart, but maybe it was somebody that you know who life is beaten up pretty bad and it's really hard for them to trust. And, and maybe you just need to spend some time praying for them and asking God how, how he'll use you to encourage them, uh, to trust him, even when it seems too good to be true. Would you stand and respond as the Lord leads?